Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, spring football. I know you're good, so I won't even ask. I'm glad you're good. <laughs> it's back, baby. Spring football is here. Sad to say that basketball has ended with that NIT loss to North Texas, but excited talking basketball transfer portal, talking about next season, how the scholarships are going to shape out, and especially excited to talk about Cowboy football. Spring practice started up this Tuesday. They practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and they're going to practice on Saturday. And I'm here for it, Cade. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm I'm still not fully over the way the basketball season ended. It's not necessarily the North Texas game specifically. It's kind of the whole thing that's just kind of bugging me right now. You watch teams like Kansas State and Texas figure it out and you know, I, I don't see why Oklahoma State can't be a Miami or a Houston, but here we are. And so that's that's been bugging me. But I have the optimism of uh, Alan Bowman to Deshaun Stribling highlights that uh, really have kind of lifted my spirits. <laughs> yeah. And like we said, so practice started on March 21st, which was Tuesday. Normally for the rest of spring practice, they're going to practice Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. But since spring break was last week, the coaches let them have, you know, kind of a day to get back together, meet on Monday, and then practice started on Tuesday. They're not in pads yet. They're in the little shell shoulder pads and helmets. They'll put pads on soon, but we know people are out there. We've heard some reports from the media from practice. We've heard from some sources. We've heard from Robert Allen, who I know is able to be at most of the practices. He's talked about it a lot on his radio show. And Gundy also met with the media, which was pretty cool. And Kate, he had some pretty interesting quotes. I, I know for one, he basically flat out said that Colin Oliver's changing positions to the linebacker spot, which is something you and I had heard, but he pretty much confirmed that there talking about the QB battle as it, you know, it's kind of going to go all the way through the spring and he's not really sure when they're going to name somebody, but Rangel, Gunnar Gundy and Alan Bowman are all taking reps with the first and second team. So everybody's going to get a look there. I think it's, I mean, it sounds like people are starting to learn the defense. We know what the safety position is looking like, which we'll get into a little bit, but all pretty positive nudes and Kate, this happens Every year at spring practice, especially when Gundy talks to the media, I'm bought back in. And I know we said maybe eight <laughs> wins. I think we both landed on for our pr prediction win total for next year. I might be bumping it up to nine just listening to Gundy talk. Yeah, it and it's it's the way it goes every year, right? We've we've done this long enough that now I will say I think there's reason for optimism. Some of the the areas of concern uh, you haven't even really mentioned Justin Kirkland yet. One of the areas of concern that I had that I felt like was make or break was the defensive line. That was, you know, four months ago before we knew Oklahoma State was truly going to shift to a, you know, three, three, five. Now you've got a different scheme. Colin Oliver moves to linebacker. So you had concerns in the front seven that I think for the most part have been addressed. 
Now, you don't really necessarily 100% know what you have with Justin Kirkland and Colin Oliver at linebacker, but I know what Justin Kirkland looks like at that nose tackle spot, and I like the way it looks. <laughs> so you'll take that, and then and then the back of the defense starts to line up, and you're like, okay, I, I can see how this could go well. So we'll, we'll watch Mike Gundy for some nonverbal and verbal cues during the offseason to see if we can get any inkling to how he's feeling, but I think there is reason to feel good better about where things are at nine wins after a a six win season seven win season would be a massive improvement but it's one I think could happen yeah and some of the interesting things he said okay just kind of going through we won't go through all of his quotes because I think he ended up meeting with the media for like 25 minutes which seems longer you know when he does these kind of media meets at practice I feel like they normally are only like 10 or 15 minutes. I could be remembering incorrectly, but this one went about 25 minutes. It's it's posted. I know Pistols Marshall posted from Pistols Firing. It's on Pokes Report. I believe it's on OSU Max as well. So you can check it out in any of those spots. But talking about Brian Nardo, talking about how he brings a, a unique style. He Gundy was really looking for somebody to bring that kind of 335, that odd stack, that broken stack, whatever you want to call it, that John Heacock has made popular at Iowa State to Oklahoma State's defense. He mentioned that now they can play three down. They can still play some of the four down. He's going to take what Nardo has done at Gannon University, at Youngstown, at Emporia State, and kind of mesh that in with what they've been doing over the past several years with Jim Knowles and with Derek Mason. So I think it'll be fun to kind of see how that defense evolves. And as I mentioned, he's talking about Colin Oliver moving to the linebacker spot. We talked about the QB battle. Also talked about the tight ends. He he you know, he called out Josiah Johnson saying that he looks really good Ian Edenfield. He compared them to Blake Jarwin and Zach Beach, which is pretty high praise from Mike Gundy, I think. And then just talking about the defensive coaches in general and the enhanced responsibilities of a Tim Duffy, Joe Bob Clements. It sounded like everything's working really well. The one thing I wanted to call out on that is he did mention that Brian Nardo will be calling the plays and will have the last say on everything. So he will be the true defensive coordinator, which you and I were pretty positive on. So I think it's going to be pretty cool kid. The only, I guess the only other real thing that I wanted to note from that media is he talked about how some of the portal guys that came in, they found out after the fact that some of them were ineligible just because it's still kind of like the wild West, the transfer portal. So they basically got a free visit. What did you think about that quote from Mike Gundy? Yeah, that was kind of funny. Like I, I, I had to back it up because I didn't know if I heard him right, but I don't know if the guys that were ineligible knew that they were necessarily ineligible. True, true. So to call it a free visit is a, maybe a little disingenuous at, at best. <laughs> Because it kind of comes off like they're freeloading, which wouldn't you? I mean, I I, I would yeah, totally do exactly. It. I would have done it. Yeah, for sure. Cheese fries I on do a, it right now for free. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think I I don't think there was anything else, kid. Did I miss anything from those quotes that you thought was really notable? He mentioned some stuff. Obviously, he got asked about the no spring game, and he talked about how there might not be one next year. I don't care enough about that to get into that. If you want to, we can. If you want to break off, I know we have a hard stop tonight, but if you want to break off 20 minutes to devote to that, we can. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you respecting the, the hard out. I, I, I don't pull that a lot on you, and you don't pull it a lot on me, but yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> decline comment uh, due to scheduling on that. 
Yeah, and if you want, you know, we're not normally doing a lot of the recap type of stuff on these press conferences. We normally just kind of hit the high notes. So if you want to check it out, like I said, you can look at Marshall and Pistols Firing, Brooks Report, OSU Max. The full interview is in all those spots. It's awesome. You should go listen. It's 25 minutes long. If you're feeding for any football-type news, this Mike Gundy's very open, I guess, uh, probably more open than he was in the last time he talked yeah. uh, to the media. So I think it went pretty well. But, Kate, I wanted to hit a few practice notes. The first one, we finally have a question. I know it's a question you and I have had about how to pronounce the new Nebraska quarterback's last name. We had heard it pronounced Flores and Floors. It has been confirmed on the official roster that was given out at practice it is floors, like the floors wow. in a house, in a room. Your take on that? I, well, I think that was the uh, that's the underdog pick. I think everybody thought Flores. So, well, I mean, if you had floors for you know plus two hundred, cash that <laughs> ticket. It's honestly wild to me that that's how it's pronounced, and I still don't really believe it because. I told you every interview I've ever seen with him, and I, I try to look up whenever I do the film breakdowns, I try to look up interviews on these guys, just if they you know, have a good quote or something like that, I can add it into my Twitter thread. And every single person that interviewed him called him Flores, and he didn't correct anybody. So I, I just thought it was Flores, but he obviously just, you know, was kind of just going with it, which is fine. But it's been confirmed on the practice roster that it is what Flores. A- what a twist. And I wonder how that doesn't ever come up in conversation. Like, hey, how do I pronounce your last name? Because it just looks like Flores. And I'm assuming it's Flores. That's that's a jer- big J journo not doing their job. They should ask that question. <laughs> and we feel were bad wrong. for Zay. I, I was wrong. I, yeah. I for sure was wrong. Well, I we was didn't interview the Flores him. side. We did not. We didn't interview him. So we did not. Don't don't wear that one. <laughs> also, some actual notes aside from that one. All the alignment are healthy, Cade. Last oh. year, we know that they only had nine guys. They couldn't even run a full first and second team. Now they have enough alignment, Mike Gundy is saying, to run a first, second, and third team. And on that, we have we have been informed that the guys that rolled out there with the ones, and remember, these are the first two days of practice. A couple of the guys are newcomers. A couple of them have switched positions. This is probably not going to be the depth chart at the first game, but the guys who rolled out with the ones were Caleb Etienne at left tackle, Jason Brooks at left guard, Joe Maholski at center, Preston Wilson at right guard, and Jake Springfield at right tackle. Whoa. I believe Dalton Cooper, Paul Birmingham, and Austin Kowecki will all be competing for spots. Cooper at either right or left tackle. I know you and I both think he's probably going to slot in at the left tackle spot. Maybe beat out Caleb Etienne in there or possibly move Caleb Etienne into the right tackle side. Uh, Austin Kowecki just moved from tackle to center. I still think he's going to compete with Joe Mahalski for that spot because everything we've heard about this guy has been a glowing review. And then Cole Birmingham, who's coming off the ACL, which is obviously why he's not probably running with the first team. He hasn't done a lot of full contact stuff in a long time. He's probably going to be competing with both Jason Brooks and Preston Wilson at either guard spot. He's played both of them. We know he's played tackle as well. And then I haven't even mentioned Taylor Materko, who started last year at guard, and Calvin Harvey, who we thought might, you know, 
possibly compete for the two deep last year at tackle. I feel I, I'm I'm just gonna say it, Cade. I feel really good about the offensive line going in next season. I'm sure that'll jinx it. I'm sure something will happen now because my predictions are always wrong. I'm naming nine guys who I think could all play. Well, if they have another year of injuries like they did last year, I, I'm going to wonder what's going on because it was so, um, so unfamiliar and, and pretty unlikely, right? I would not bet on it mainly because I don't want to jinx it either, but that seemed like a anomaly and kind of a, a fluky deal. So I think so too. And I think the depth is there. The one interesting thing that you mentioned, which there were a lot, but the one I'm going to zero in on, Jason Brooks at left guard. I don't know if we ever really talked about that as as a distinct possibility. And it and it may not be the case on day one, but I've always kind of thought Jason Brooks at right guard. I guess we did with Preston Wilson potentially taking that spot. We probably did talk about it, but I just assumed he's he's your he's your guy at right guard. Yeah, and he's kind of been. The right, he was he played some right guard last year. He played right guard at Vanderbilt, and right guard normally is one of your stronger offensive linemen. But Preston Wilson, I think he's. I know. So they talked to him. I wanted to get to a couple of Preston Wilson quotes. They talked to him after practice. It's up on OSU Max. He basically said that he's comfortable at right guard. He played all over the line. He he mentioned he started at every spot on the line. He's really comfortable pulling, That's so that wild. kind of alludes to we talked about the you know kind of the run game scheme changes. I've been doing some of those Twitter threads on that. Wilson basically confirmed it. He was talking about pulling a lot in this interview, so that's pretty cool. He says he loves doing it, confirming that they're going to do it. But to your point, yeah, I I thought Preston Wilson at center. I thought we we're going to see Jason Brooks back at his right guard spot, and then Cole Birmingham slotting in at left guard. So. It's interesting. I'm not sure what's going to happen as we move into the fall and into the summer and into the fall, but it's a great call out by you because on our depth chart, we did have Jason Brooks slotted in at right guard. Yeah. And I, and it's jogging my memory because we definitely talked about it at, in the, uh, like in the chance that Preston Wilson is your starting right guard, which we we've had thought of as a possibility. And I'll say with the, you know, pulling schemes, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like I would wonder though, if Jason Brooks at left guard, even with this polling scheme, if he can be better in a role like that, maybe he's not near as mobile. I really like this after having heard it. I like what it brings you potentially down the line. And we're not even talking about a Cole Birmingham yet or a Calvin Harvey or a, or a, you know, a Dalton, a Dalton Cooper. So I, I like yeah. where they're at. And you know they've got Noah McKinney from UNLV. They've got Davis Dotson. The still they've got Jacoby Sanders coming in from Stillwater, and then a name that Preston Wilson mentioned when he was talking about newcomers, Jack and Dean, incoming freshman from Arizona. He said he loves Jack and Dean. He ha he has the right mindset. He says you don't normally see that in the freshman coming in. So one of the first days he came up to Preston and said, "Hey." I've heard you're a leader on this team. Whenever you get a chance, I'd love to kind of go through some film with you and kind of learn how to operate as a college offensive lineman. So I thought that was really cool. You and I both love Jack and Dean coming out of high school. So it's great to hear that he's, you know, ready to rock and ready to, you know, compete for a spot as a true freshman. Yeah, a hundred percent. Not something you would even really think about 
on this offensive line with how much depth that they've got, but it's a good thing to know. Looking at the rest of the offense, Gunnar Gundy is healthy and is a full go. I know there was some question marks about that with him coming off the surgery in the offseason that kept him out of the bowl game. He's a full go, like I mentioned earlier. All three of those guys, Bowman, Rangel, and Gundy, are going to be getting reps with the ones. So we'll just kind of see how that plays out. We heard Alan Bowman might be shaking off some rust. Kate, all the videos I've seen and everything we've heard, he looks fine to me. I know it's, you know, not full go. They've done some team stuff. They're not in full pads, but he looks like the Alan Bowman that we saw on film. Arm looks good. Saw him throwing some balls to the John Stribling. I think it's. Do you think it's an open QB competition, or do you think it's? I know people are saying it's Rangel's job to lose, which I think is kind of the the answer the coaches are going to say because Rangel's already on the team, and not a knock on Garrett Rangel at all. You and I both like Garrett Rangel a lot. But do you think it's his job to lose, or do you think it's truly Alan Bowman's job to lose? And if Bowman shows that maybe he's not getting the offense for some reason, then it slots back down to Rangel. But who who do you kind of see as one and two right now? I mean, they brought Alan Bowman in to be the guy, more than likely, to be a, a stopgap for this year and this year only to allow a Zane Flores or – and see, see what I did there – or – or a Garrett Rangel to get ready for their next year when they would be more more readily available to contribute, which kind of leads me to a point. Gunnar Gundy was going to be the guy, right? Like after Spencer last year. So is it possible, Dustin, <laughs> that he's your two this year? Or is that just fully not on the table? I think I think one, two, and three. Are going to be a battle. I think, I think so you too. could, if you ask somebody else that question, they might say Zane Floors could end up being the two because we've we've heard he tested off the charts whenever he got with Rob Glass, testing better than Spencer Sanders in some areas when he came in as a freshman, and we know how athletic Spencer Sanders is. So I think it's a great point by you. I think one, two, three, and even four. I don't know yeah. how, and obviously we're not going to see it all the way down to you know. There's six QBs on the roster, right. I believe, counting the two walk-ons. But I think it's a great point to bring up. I personally think it's going to be Alan Bowman on day one. I would be I would be pretty shocked if it wasn't, but probably in a good way, because to me, that would mean either Garrett Rangel, Zane Flores, or even a Gunner Gundy, like you mentioned, really showed off in the spring, summer, and in the fall. But if it's not Alan Bowman, I, I'm probably going to be a little surprised. Yeah, I think that's, I'll be honest, I will not be shocked if it's not Alan Bowman. I think that there's been some good things heard about Garrett Rangel. There's a lot of G's about Garrett Rangel, <laughs> but I will not be shocked if it's not Alan Bowman on day one. And I only say that because I think it could take a little time to get the rust beaten off. It could also be that he's he's just not the guy that he was four years ago when he was showing out at Texas tech. That's very possible. So um, I liked what I saw though. I liked the zip on the ball and some of the very uh, brief practice clips. We saw the placement looked good. The deep ball is as I remembered, but if there's a younger guy beneath him, that shows a lot of promise in a Garrett Rangel, which we'll just call it him. It would totally not surprise me to see him take, take the reins on day one but if i'm betting on it i'll give it to bowman uh to be the starter 
Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a good call by you. Uh, as far as the receivers go, everybody's out there working. Jaden Bray, it looks like he's getting some reps at the Z with Dejon Stribling and Talon Shetron, who apparently Talon Shetron, you can noticeably see the difference in his body type. From the pictures I've seen, you, I, I think it's pretty noticeable that he's run some weight in a good way. He looks ready to go, ready to compete. I think he's a sleeper for a guy that maybe could wind up getting more snaps than we originally thought. Dribbling, I know he's taller than maybe like the Tylen Wallace and Braden Johnson Z's. But he just looks from what I've seen, like the pictures I've seen, I know he's, you know, several inches taller than those guys, but he looks like the typical Z receiver for Oklahoma State. Blaine Green's back at the X. Leon Johnson looks like the tallest human being in the world. Rashad Owens back at the X spot as well. And then Brendan Presley and Arlen Bruce. I think if they were wearing the same number, it looks like they're very similar in size. Yeah. Very similar in skill. You'd probably get them confused a little bit. But it's almost like, Kate, we've talked about this before with wide receivers. Not a ton of huge notes that we've seen from the media or from or heard from Robert Allen on the wide receivers. I think it's because we already think they're good and stuff just hasn't really popped yet through these first two days of practice because we know these guys are really talented athletes and we need to see it in full speed team drills, full pads to be able to really tell who can get separation from a cornerback, who can get open, who the quarterbacks are comfortable throwing it to and things of that nature. I mean, Talon Shitron looks like a full-grown man. If you go back and look at some of the clips, not even the ones of him catching it, but he stands out like he kind of not, I'm not going to say like Des body type, but you know how when Des was walking around, it's who is number one? Shetron has a little bit of that to him right now where you can't really miss him when you're watching clips of the wide receivers. I know it's early, not calling him Des Bryant, but he does, to your point, Dustin, clearly look like he's put on some weight in a good way. Uh, And he looks big. I mean, he looks big and physical, which is one of the things that we thought could be the case, but it could take some time. So I'm excited about him. Jaden Bray looks big, looks healthy. I don't know how they're going to get all three of these guys on the field and get the ball to him enough, because I think Shetron, Bray, and Stribling, I think you're you're loaded at that spot. Yeah, it's if you can if you can figure out who the best guys on the field for this season are and get the other guys, you know, some reps when needed, because you want to get these guys on the field, but it's almost like I think you're set up for the future. And I know there's transfer portal and everything like that. And some of these guys, like I think Leon Johnson only has one year left, but when you're talking about Stribling and Bruce and Shetron, even a Blaine green, these are guys and Jaden Bray. These are all guys that can come back. So when you figure out who the best guys are out of them, I think you're going to be pretty stacked because you've got like eight guys to choose from at these pretty much now three receiver spots. If you're going to be going heavy 11 personnel with a true tight end out there. So I think it's a kind of wealth of riches. And I'm sure people listening to this are like, you guys said that last year and we didn't really see it. We talked about this on the last podcast. I think this year it's a little bit different because there are several guys we think that we didn't have on the roster last year that are really going to pop. And even a guy like a Blaine Green moving back to the X spot. So I'm really excited about the wide receiver position. Yeah, that's the thing. We said that there's a chance that they are better in terms of quality. Maybe not as deep, but the starting caliber depth, there's a chance that they're better 
I'm going to stand by that until I'm proven wrong. Yeah, no, I love it. And then tight ends and cowboy backs. They also interviewed uh, Braden Cassidy, who's working on his third degree right now at Oklahoma State, which is pretty awesome for him. <laughs> so uh, shout out to him for that. But he talked about the fullback position. He said it was a little sad when the cowboy back name went away. He still calls it cowboy back at times, but so they've added in a lot of new stuff. But the responsibilities at, of the fullback aren't that much different than the cowboy back which makes sense, Cade, we've talked about. We think the tight end is going to be something different, more of a true H-back tight end pass catcher that can also block, kind of like almost like more of a Blaine Green than what we've seen from like a Braden Cassidy and a Jake right. Schultz. So that'll be interesting to see. He, uh, Braden Cassidy mentioned Josiah Johnson as a guy that's kind of popped out to him, so I thought that was pretty cool. So we'll kind of see how that goes forward. But we've heard Josiah Johnson's name multiple times now. So if he shows he can block, I think he's kind of your one at tight end with an Ian Edenfield behind him. And then you've got Braden Casty and Jake Schultz at the fullback spot with guys like Luke McIndoo behind them. So I feel really good about the tight end and cowboy back, even though we haven't seen a lot just from what we've heard on them. And the fullback spot obviously is with Braden Casty and Jake Schultz coming back, we know what we've gotten those guys. We know they can play the fullback position. And now that we're not asking them to run routes as much, or if at all, I think it kind of solidifies their role a little bit more and makes me feel a little bit more comfortable about that spot. We're going to throw some wham blocks around or no, is that, is I, that in our future this year? I want to, I'd love I to, know. you know, you know, my <laughs> affinity for it, but no, seriously, I think that Josiah Johnson was one that when, he was offered by Oklahoma State. He was a guy I wanted. He was a guy we talked about as, okay, he looks like he could do what they're probably trying to do. And now I think you've got a really nice line in the sand of, okay, you've got some pass catchers and you've got some blockers and, you know, maybe even some universal guys like an Ian Edenfield, as you mentioned. So um, I'm excited to see what they do, but I'm not calling them cowboy backs. So yeah. I, I'll just promise you that. I think I've already accidentally done it on this podcast, but last to round out the offense and we'll switch to defense running back. Elijah Collins, Cade. He's, he's love gonna, he might win my Jalen Warren spring practice player of the year award this time because oh, that would be he's, awesome. He's already taken a long run to the end zone. Robert Allen on his radio show mentioned he made a few moves on that run that he hasn't seen from anybody in a while at that running back position. <laughs> and I think he might've been including Jalen Warren there. This is All a guy right. who rushed for almost a thousand yards at Michigan state in one season and rushed for over, I think 1600 total in his career battled through some injuries, had a big setback when he got COVID. He may be ready to kind of break out and really, you know, I I'm not comparing him to Jalen Warren in style I think they're different running backs, but Jalen Warren is a guy who at Utah State, we never really saw him really reach his full potential because of injuries, because of splitting carries. Then he comes to Oklahoma State, has a breakout season, and now he's you know getting actual playing time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Could Elijah Collins do the same thing? Too early to tell, but he's definitely on my radar right now after having a good first two practices. And then obviously Ollie Gordon, Jaden Nixon, DeAndre Jackson, excited about all those guys in the mix, especially Ollie. If Elijah Collins comes in and wins the job in in that running back room, he's gonna it's gonna be because he's a total dude, right? Like I think we talked about this. There's even a little bit of optics with Ollie Gordon. Like he's 
so highly regarded and so there's so much hype around him that you almost have to try it. But that's not what Mike Gundy's going to do. He's going to put the best guy on the field. And if that's Elijah Collins, that's who it's going to be. I'll say this. Jalen Warren was the king of moves. So I, I'm not going to say that, like, I haven't seen Elijah Collins run at Oklahoma State. But to hear, you know, a, another member of the media saying that they haven't seen moves like that in a while, like one year is what I would say to that. Because Jalen <laughs> Warren was was otherworldly. And Jalen, and for Elijah Collins to get that comparison for me, it would be it would be pretty tough to your point because that, that season I actually got to go to a practice, which I've talked about on here right. and Jalen Warren, he, I, I'm dumb. And I, I left that practice. I mean, I think I texted you right after me yeah, and was like, Hey, Jalen Warren is really, really good. Yeah. And if a dumb, a dummy like me can, <laughs> you know, have that analysis from one practice, then you knew, I mean, you know, he was, otherworldly good for a transfer. So yeah, we'll see, but I would say keep an eye on Elijah Collins. Kate. He's probably the guy I'm most intrigued about right now on the offense. And that's including all of these new receivers, Ooh. just because it's, I just, if he's able to be really, really good and you have him and Ollie Gordon, this run game could do a complete turnaround from last season. And if that happens, you, I mean, you already know you've got good wide receivers. You think you've got something in quarterback with Alan Bowman. Maybe we can get back to some of the offenses of, you know, several years ago if you could have a really solid running game. Yeah, I mean, it would change a lot of things for me. I, If they're able to consistently run the ball, doesn't it change some things for the quarterback position too? If you're oh, with yeah. a Garrett Rangel, doesn't that make you feel a little bit better? Especially as a non-running quarterback. I mean, it makes it easier for them if your running game with your running backs is firing on all cylinders. A hundred percent. I I mean, and you know Mike Gundy. He wants to run the football. And Elijah Collins, I'm trying to figure out who he reminds me of, but I can't think of any, you know, recent Oklahoma State running back that just he jumps off the page. He's kind of an all-purpose guy. He's got some shiftiness, got some downhill speed, but he's really, he's really got enough of everything to where I don't know the last time Oklahoma State had a, a true running back like that, but I, I love the hype that you're putting behind him right now. Yeah, and that's after two days of practice. So definitely, definitely don't get as hyped as I am. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to bring a little energy. It's appreciated. <laughs> okay, let's switch to the defense. So Cade, we did have the safeties correct. It is Lyric Rawls at boundary. Kendall Daniels at Rover and the field safety spot will be Trey Rucker. So when I asked you to predict it last podcast, you said those three, that's what we had on our depth chart. That that's who ran out Kid, every other position. It sounds like guys are rotating in and out and, it, and no one was really able to tell for sure who the ones are right now at nose tackle. It sounds like Justin Kirkland and Colin clay were the two guys rotating in and out with the ones Anthony Goodlow, Nathan Latou, Walter Scheid, Deshaun Brown, Eamon Oates have all, and actually from the pronunciation, I think it is Eamon Oates. We originally thought it was Eamon. I think it's Eamon Oates have all been kind of rotating at the defensive, other defensive end spots, the Viper that, you know, on early downs, it might be two defensive tackles, any defensive end. So kind of everybody's rotating around there. And then at linebacker, it sounds like it's Colin Oliver at the Sam. See Donnie Stevens out there, Jeff Robertson, Justin Wright. 
I've been told to keep an eye on Chance Clements, Xavier Benson, Nick Martin, all these guys kind of rotating in and out. So I think basically outside of the safeties and quarterbacks too, you, Corey Brock's obviously a sure thing, but Cam Smith, Dylan or DJ McKinney, Kenneth Harris, Jordan Reagan, I think all these guys are kind of rotating in and out. So aside from the three safeties, I think everything else is kind of up for grabs right now. I mean, I'm sure Colin Oliver is going to lock down that Sam linebacker and Justin Wright will probably be in at that middle linebacker spot, the mic, but everywhere else I think is kind of up for grabs right now. Uh, which is exciting and also scary a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, it's two, two practices, two spring practices. So I won't, I won't put too much stock into that, but I like the competition, but you would, I, I think, really like to have a good idea by the end of spring what you've got on the defensive line and at linebacker. Like, I, you you would have thought Xavier Benson would have been a, a, a shoe-in. Is that the case? I think we'll find out. If, if you asked me anybody that was a starter last year that might get replaced, just – from kind of what we heard to the offseason, uh, our analysis during the season last year and moving into the, again, practices. I'm getting way too hyped on two practices, but I think Xavier Benson would be the guy I would say maybe could get replaced. And whether that be a Jeff Robertson or a Nick Martin or, or you know, or even a Donnie Stevens, I, I could see one of those younger guys maybe coming in and taking a spot. And I'm not really trying to knock Benson there, but we didn't get to see Robertson last year at all because of the injury. Donnie Stevens now has another year under his belt. And Nick Martin, we saw him kind of come on late, looked good in the bowl game. So I think it's going to be a true competition at some of these linebacker spots. Well, I think I'd be open to it. I, I think this 3-3 setup that you have lends you to more competition there. But I just don't know how deep you are past four you know, I think you have a good hope that a Donnie Stevens or a Jeff Robertson or a Nick Martin's going to be able to do it for 12 games, 13 games, however many you play, but it is a hope at that point. So, I think you'd I think you'd like to feel for sure where you're at there. Yeah, and another guy I don't think I mentioned Deshaun Brown. I think he could play in the mix on the D-line as yeah, well. Yeah, good point. Uh Colin Oliver and Lyric Rawls were interviewed after practice from talking about some of the after practice interviews, Oliver said Alan Bowman and Justin Wright have been two of the newcomers that have kind of stepped up as leaders already, which is pretty cool to hear. And then Lyric Rawls said that Nardo has been meeting with all the defenders one-on-one, -on -one, trying to meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. I think they're all going to go over to his house soon as well. So it sounds like Brian Nardo, they, Oliver and Rawls both said that he's, you know, he can be loud on the field, but off the field, he's kind of more reserved when they're comparing him to like a Derek Mason or a Jim Knowles, but they seem to really like him. It was all smiles when talking about Nardo. So that's pretty cool. You know, he's a younger guy. So, uh, and obviously a, quite a bit younger than Knowles and Mason who are both in their fifties. So not that doesn't always mean he's like a better coach or anything, but being a little bit younger might be a little bit easier to relate sometimes. So it seems like they really like them. They seemed like genuine answers from these guys. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then I, I can't remember who said it. It may have been something off Pokes report. It may have been in one of those interviews, but apparently Justin Kirkland is as advertised an absolute monster. I know you and I were a little concerned about maybe his foot speed, his quickness, but after watching a little bit more on him and seeing some of these videos from early practice, it looks like that's there. And he's 
seems to be able to move pretty well at that size. So I, I'm getting more and more excited for Justin Kirkland, which you already alluded to earlier. Yeah, I, I, he's probably the guy, you know, your Elijah Collins was the guy you were fired up about. I think Justin Kirkland is that for me because I think it's a position of absolute dire need for Oklahoma State. If they don't have somebody there that can do it well, they're – that could that could be the difference in two games won or two games lost. I personally think maybe even more than that because of how this defense aligns itself. So uh, again, I think there's other ways you can look at it, but that's the way I feel about it. And to me, the size was never an issue with Kirkland. It was does he have the um, does he have the foot speed and does he have kind of the maybe the knowledge of the game is the wrong way to word it, but does it can he make the leap from Utah Tech? to Oklahoma State that's that's a question I'm going to have until September and it's a legit question you know he's 21 years old but he's only right. played one year since he did the LDS mission so it's a legit question to have but I, I'm excited be way too excited I'm sure people listening to this are like chill out dude they're not even through a full <laughs> week of practice yet but it I just get jacked up for football so yeah Sorry. no why, why wouldn't you and if you if you don't expect it Maybe listen to the podcast because we'll, we'll we'll break a depth chart down in in March, no problem. Yeah, so we won't we'll probably won't do full depth chart again for a little while, but we'll definitely keep giving notes, news. Like I said, there might be a surprise later on where we get some in depth notes. We'll have more on that later. But Cade, that's all I have on spring football. We could hit a little recruiting before we move to basketball. If you're good with that, yeah. Who doesn't love a little light recruiting news? <laughs> So not much on the offer front that's really like big time notable. They did offer Bryant Wesco, four-star receiver out of Midlothian, Texas, 6'280 pounder. But then they they offered him since we recorded last. And he also put out a top eight since we recorded last. And Oklahoma State was not on there. So kind of can kind of forget about that one for now. Weston Davis, offensive tackle from Beaumont, 6'4, 285. He's not ranked on 247 but Rivals has him as a four-star. He named Oklahoma State as one of like the schools that are kind of in his final consideration list, so we'll see how that goes with Weston Davis. Along with that, there's going to be a bunch of visits. I know we mentioned that a lot of those are going to happen on Saturday, which is why they moved the practice schedule around to where they practice on Saturday. You've got in the 2024 class, you've got Landon Cleveland, three-star safety out of Mansfield, Texas, Xavier Robinson, the 2000 plus yard rusher out of Midwest city uh, in the 2024 class running back, Josh Aosa Sosa from Santa Fe offensive tackle in the 2024 class, Zach Smith, the linebacker from red Oak, Texas in the 2024 class. And then the last one from the 2024 class that we know about is Fatu Makuba wide receiver from Austin 2024, not rated yet. There's a few 2025 guys that are going to be coming in and so and a 2026 guy. We'll get way into into that, you know, as Kate and I like to we try to keep it the most recent or the right. next recruiting class. But a lot of guys are going to be coming in. I'm sure there's more that we haven't heard about. That was everybody that we were that we noted from 247 articles and from folks report. But pretty exciting. I'm sure we'll see some offers. Some of those guys haven't even been offered yet. We might right. even see some commitments. So it's going to be pretty interesting as we move through this spring schedule and on to kind of, I think it's late June where that kind of no contact period starts again. So it's going to be really interesting. You're going to see a lot of recruiting pop up, and we'll definitely keep you updated here on the pod. 
Yeah, uh, Dustin, you know me. I, I I could do recruiting all day. It's uh it's a passion, and you know at at this point, I'm just getting fired up for football because basketball really left a sour taste in my mouth. And I'll take any good Oklahoma State sports news I can. And um, again, I I just love a, a good cap on football. It's like spring football means we're somewhat back, right? Like we're a little bit back. And it's going to be June here pretty soon, and we're going to be all the way back. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. And Kate, you segued us perfectly into basketball. If you want to go ahead well, and switch to that, we might as well. Before we do that, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. All right, Dustin, it was the NIT. <laughs> we, we know that. And Oklahoma state threatened to make a run again for the second time in the last five years. They got beat against Western Kentucky and Gallagher Iba. I think it was four years ago in the NIT with a chance to go to New York City. And history somewhat repeated itself as Oklahoma State wins the first two games of the NIT against Youngstown State, Eastern Washington. Steel Venters, the menace that I thought he would be, did not come to fruition. But Tyler Perry brought the house of pain with North Texas and uh as they come into Gallagher Iba and knock Oklahoma state off. So Dustin, I mean, your thoughts as a whole as to how the season ended and uh, maybe just that game against North Texas. Yeah. So the 71 60 win over Eastern Washington saw Bryce Thompson go off for 22. One of the better shooting games Oklahoma state had, I think this entire season, I was hyped up. I know you were hyped up. We were texting about it that, you know, they could make a run, get to Las Vegas, they go up against North Texas and Cade. I thought even if they shot kind of what they've been shooting this year, which hasn't been great, they're one of yeah. the one of the worst shooting teams in the country, that they could win this game. But 18% from three, 33% from the field, and 60% from the free throw line. I don't know if you can beat anybody with that. I mean, it's it is unacceptable, right? Like you can't you can't win basketball games. You can't expect to shooting like that, right? And it's a game. It went into overtime. Oklahoma State had multiple chances to win. Tyler Perry went off for twenty three, but he put up a lot of shots. It wasn't very efficient. He hit some big shots, but I thought Oklahoma State did a good job on him. I guess for the most part, I mean, three of 14 from three, and some of the threes he made were from deep and late in the shot clock. So 
So it, it wasn't like a all-around poor defensive performance from Oklahoma State. I mean, North Texas only scored 65 with an overtime period, and they're not a team. I, they're one of the slowest-paced teams in the country. I think they might be dead last. So it wasn't it wasn't like the defense completely fell apart, but they just couldn't get anything going on the offensive end. They only turned it over 11 times. They had nine assists on the shots that they made. There just weren't many shots made. I mean, Bryce Thompson really struggled. We've just seen him be inconsistent all year. You got some from Caleb Asbury, but he still had to take seven threes to get to 14 points. It was just a tough all-around game, only 10 minutes for Caleb Boone. I I did not have fun watching this game. I I don't know if you did, but I had zero fun. No, it was awful. Uh, quite honestly, the way the game ended was was maybe merciful because it's just the this season that was the literal culmination of the every problem that Oklahoma State has had all season. And I think one of the most disappointing things was that they got absolutely clobbered on the glass by a team that frankly wanted it more. And that's I mean, it's not okay, but it's understandable. North Texas is probably fired up to be there and I, I i didn't get the same vibe from oklahoma state usually you can tell on the glass and they they obliterated oklahoma state on the glass but what i'll go to is i'll go to the last minute of that game as an example of of oklahoma state's basketball season literally a microcosm oklahoma state gets fouled with 20 seconds left with a chance to go up a point or two they miss both free throws get the offensive rebound call a timeout and airball it on a John Michael Wright shot that shit elbow balls from elbow pull up. Yeah. I'll be honest. I was at gold's gym this week and I didn't airball one of those. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying I could do it. I'm just saying I, I didn't do it. I don't love him taking that shot right there. Just with the game he had going on one of nine from the field, one of five from three, only six points, but no matter who's taking that shot, any of the guards Oklahoma State has should have been able to at least not airball that. So I, I completely 100%. agree with you there. And, you know, what teams have done all season to Oklahoma State is pack the paint and dare these guards to beat them. Sometimes a Bryce Thompson will give you 22 and a John Michael Wright and Caleb Asbury will contribute double digits as well. And sometimes you get a combined, you know, what? 25 points from yeah. these guys. So it's just, you know, Musa Cisse played a great game, 13 points. He was super efficient, seven rebounds in 28 minutes, but he can, he's not a guy that can lead you in scoring. You need the guards to score. And they just didn't get that consistently yeah. all season. And like you said, it was kind of a not perfect way to end because it, we definitely didn't want Oklahoma State to lose, but it kind of went in line with the entire season. They had a good shooting night against Eastern Washington, and then they come back and shoot terribly against North Texas, and the guards don't give you much of anything, and you lose. Yeah, I just, I personally am ready for the offseason. I've, I've watched a lot of that team do the same thing all season, and I hope, and Dustin, I think it's a good segue into the offseason, that that performance and really knowing that it's not a fluke should be the thing to drive some heavy handed changes. Not I'm not talking at the head coach. And I know a lot of people might be already. I don't think that's 
necessary at the current moment. But I'll be completely honest, Dustin. I don't know if anybody outside of Tyreek Smith and Musa Cisse should have a guaranteed spot next season. And you can't make wholesale changes like that. You can't expect to go pull seven people out of the portal. But here's what I'll say. Look at Texas right now. Everybody on that starting five is a transfer. It's just the name of the game right now. And they're a transfer from power five teams. So as Oklahoma State, you know, sends a Caleb Asbury, possibly a John Michael Wright on their way coming from a Texas State and a, a high point, I think you need to be looking a little bit higher. I mean, there are some even some mid-majors, not really even lower mid-majors, but you know, some of the more classic A-10 conferences or the American that I would be looking for high performers out of those conferences to bring into Oklahoma State because they're going to need it. Next year is a make-or-break year for Mike Boynton, and the roster is turning over whether he likes it or not. So I think he has to make some really difficult choices. The guard spot, I, I don't I don't know of a way that you feel good about what you have there. Do you? Yeah. I- no, I, I agree with you. And Cade, you perfectly just kind of moved us into one of the questions. We can just go ahead and hit right now from Twitter, if you don't mind. Robert Dennis at RT Dennis, one of our buddy, one of our friends of the pod, he says, How many scholarships does Boynton and Co. have to play with before the start of next season? And he hashtag transfer portal season. Robert, thanks for the question. You you just kind of hit it a little bit. So of the eleven scholarship guys on the roster, nine can return. Only Bernard Kuma and Caleb Asbury can't return. So even though they're, you know, marked as seniors, Caleb Boone, Avery Anderson, John Michael Wright, and Chris Harris can all come back. So you're looking at, you're allowed to have 13 guys on scholarship. They still have to lose one scholarship in the next two seasons. They dropped two this past season. So next season, you're looking at if everybody comes back and the new guys come in, you're looking at 14 guys. So everybody that I just named outside of Kuma and Asbury, and then Brandon Garrison, Eric Daly Jr., Justin McBride, Jamiron Keller, and Connor Dow. So you've got to lose at least one of the of those guys to get to 13. And if you want to take the scholarship reduction this year, you've got to take two. And that's not even counting. You've got to bring in some shooting and a point guard from the transfer portal because I don't think – any of the guys coming in from high school can be your day one point guard. Right. You, you probably can, you know, you have some shooting coming in, but I don't think any of these guys are going to be big time contributors next year outside of maybe Brandon Garrison. So I think some of the guys will get minutes, but that's not a point guard. That's not a three point shooter. So wh- what do you think they do? Kate, who do you think leaves? Who do you think stays? Man, I feel like a medical retirement is in Chris Harris's future. That's three torn ACLs. I mean, I, it's I think rude Oklahoma, to say, but you need that scholarship back. I think so. Right. And I think that there's a way you can do it to honor Chris Harris and the work he's put in. I think that there's a, you for know, sure, maybe for a, sure. a role on the bench as a graduate assistant. I think there's something that can be done for Chris Harris as his, you know, his, his, his same knee has caused him problems his entire career. And it's a shame that we never really got to see uh, him come to fruition, but I think he's probably going to open up a scholarship spot. I I also should have added Q Williams as a guy that should have a spot next year. I think he did some really good things near the end of the season. Woody Newton though. 
I think he I'm good. He disappeared. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm just going to be completely honest here. I'm not going to really sugarcoat it. Those two guys I would look at. Is John Michael Wright what you need at a point guard spot? And if not, can he really play the two? I think you're going to have some issues there. Is he comfortable taking a backup role, which is what I think it's going to take. And then it kind of leads you to like the Caleb Boone's and Bryce Thompson's of the world. Like Caleb, I I personally would be surprised to see him come back. I feel like he checked out. I I would wonder what the situation in the locker room is like if he's back. Um, you I, I'm sure you saw the clip of him on the sideline. The entire team is huddled yeah. up talking about the game plan and Caleb's pouting for what feels like the hundredth time this season. So I'm personally fine too there. Bryce Thompson is one that like, if he could just get it going consistently, the problem is I think he has to have it kind of given to him in a way he can play up and down basketball, but Oklahoma state's not built that way right now. They're just not a transition team. And when they get out in transition, ultimately they don't have the scorers to put the ball in the basket. So I'm, I'm concerned really about everybody not named Musa C say Tyreek Smith or Keon Williams. So you think for sure they at least make room for two transfer portal guys at least? I mean, they're active right now in the transfer yeah. portal. I, I would yeah. think that you've got three spots at least opening up. And we can hit some of those guys right now, Kate, if you want to. I know last week we kind of went through some of the guys we saw in the portal. Now we have Oklahoma State linked to several guys, and I can kind of run through them right now, Kate, if you want. And you can tell me, you can do like we did last time and just kind of give me a yes or no or you know, maybe on some of these guys, but I kind of like a lot of these guys. And some of them are from what you talked about, you know, power five, mid-major, high mid-majors. So we'll start with Joel Brown from Cal, 6'2", 192 pound guard. Last season, he scored 6.9 points a game, was 41% from the field, 24.4% from three. He's got a lot of people looking at him. I think he's more of kind of a true point guard than a scoring point guard, more of a pass first guy. He played in 122 games for Cal, starting 93 of them. Anything you see written about him, they say that, like he is a past first guy. I mean, over three assists a game in college is is pretty good for a point guard. You know, Oklahoma State as a team only averaged like 13. So uh Canadian guy and, you know, Oklahoma State in general and the Oklahoma city thunder have had some success with Canadian players. So any, any thoughts on him? I, I think he'd be more of a guy personally. I think he'd be more of a guy you'd want to take, but he wouldn't want to be your star of the class. Uh, that's exactly what I think. Uh, exactly what you said. I don't know if he fills a, you know, like a, a hundred percent need I mean, honestly, Dustin, I would just take a shooter. Just anybody that can shoot all the time is what I would take. Yeah. Next, we've got Jameson Battle. And again, all these guys are linked to Oklahoma State per, you know, some of the analysts out there that have been posted on Twitter or posted in different reports. So haven't seen anything like officially confirmed, but that's what we've heard on these. So Jameson Battle is a 6'7", 225-pound forward from Minnesota. Last season, he averaged 12.4 points a game, 3.8 rebounds, 1.7 assists. He shot 37.1% from the field and 31.1% from three. He took a big dip in his stats this past season. The season before, he averaged 17.5 points a game, and the season before that, 17.3. And he also shot around 
36% from three the prior three seasons. So uh, he dealt with a foot and back injury. The team wasn't very good. I think he's more of what you saw from him that first year at Minnesota and his previous two years at George Washington in the A-10. I do kind of like Jameson Battle as a yeah. guy you could bring in and that shooting, you know, for, for three seasons straight, he shot 36% from three on over 6.4 attempts per game. Did did you have his height and weight? Is he 6'5 or is he 6'7, 225? So he could play that kind of Woody Newton role, I think would yeah. be a really good fit for that. I, they always wanted Woody to be kind of a stretch four, and he just did not play like a big. I, I honestly wonder if Jameson Battle could be your true three in an offense it, like that. And you're looking at a guy who's shooting that percentage on that high number of attempts and also a guy who's a career 79% free throw shooter. That pretty much tells you that he he has shown he can shoot at the college level, yeah. e- even at Minnesota. I, like I said, he was dealing with foot and back injuries last season. I think last season was an anomaly. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you, and I I think that the longevity of his career lends you to feeling pretty confident about him. Next, we've got Josh Nickelberry, who's currently at LaSalle, but was at Louisville before that. Six four, two hundred five pound guard. Last season, he averaged 10.9 points, 2.7 rebounds, just under one assist, shot 40.7% from the field and 40.1% from three on almost six attempts a game. This is a guy, he won six man of the year in the A-10. This is a guy that I think could come off the bench or start for you and literally just go out there and shoot threes. Yeah, I think I think he'd be a starter at Oklahoma State. And I think he'd be a guy, if he wanted to come here, so talking about some of the guys that could lose their spot, I think you make room for somebody like that. That's that's proof right there. Yeah, 100%. Next, we've got Paxson Wojcik. He's getting looked at mm. by a lot of people. I know North Carolina's talking to him. He's a 6'4", 185-pound guard who played both at Brown most recently and Loyola in Illinois. Averaged 14.9 points per game last season, 7.2 rebounds as a 6'4 guard, 3.2 assists, 46.1% from the field and 38% from three on 5.6 attempts per game. I think this is another guy you would definitely take, but a lot of teams are looking at him. That's You're it. Bringing in a guy that's shooting 38% on six attempts a game. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's kind of the deal is that, yeah, the, the stats are eye popping and he'd, he'd fit perfectly, but can you get him? Yeah. John Ponji, 6'5", 222-pound guard from Colorado State, 14.6 points per game last season, 4.7 rebounds, just over one assist. He shot 39% from three on 4.8 attempts a game. He's a career 37% three-point shooter on three attempts a game. Last season was the first time he'd really taken more than kind of three attempts. He was close to the five, like I said. But another guy who I think could come in and get you buckets and knock down threes, who's shown he can consistently shoot above 37% for four seasons now. And that's kind of the mark you and I have set, right? 37%. I would even say 38%, knowing that Oklahoma State just needs to shoot better everywhere next year. 38% is my personal marker that I'm setting, and 40 would be even better. And I I mean, I already said you'd love a higher mid-major, but if they're a 42% three-point shooter from, you know, name the school, you take them. So I don't know. I just feel like if they can pull somebody like that, they they need to. 
Yeah, and the last two guys, uh, I'll go kind of quickly through this next guy because he he only played in 21 games, doesn't have a lot of stats. Ike Cornish from Maryland. Yeah. 6'6", 185-pound guard. I'm not even going to read the stats because it's it's not much, not a lot of attempts or anything like that to really take a lot from. Don't know a ton about him. Not super excited about that, but if if Coach Boynton likes him, you know, m- maybe he could do something. Maybe he sees something in him. And then you've got... Trey Tennyson, the 6'4", 170-pound guard from Texas A&M Corpus Christi. He shot 40.2% from three last season, 15.7 points per game, 2.3 rebounds, 1.2 assists. He's a career 39% three-point shooter. This is a guy, Cade, that I think could ball handle, could shoot the three. I know a lot of teams are going after him as well, but I really like Trey Tennyson. Well, I think Oklahoma State has some familiarity too. I did OSU play Corpus Christi this year, or last year. They play them a lot, so there's going to be some familiarity there. So who knows? And that's that's kind of the type of guy that I think Oklahoma State could find, you know, a a pretty good player out of. And again, I think a Power Five would be great. Ike Cornish would be awesome. I think personally, but. You know, does he fill a, a true need or are you trying to go get a Keontae Johnson? That's what that feels like to me a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. And Kate, I mean, I, the only other thing note I had on basketball was the Big 12, another Brett Yormark special. They're announcing they're partnering with Rucker Park, the uh, classic kind yeah. of playground yeah. court in New York City. They're going to have some youth camps. They're going to Big Twelve is going to operate some youth camps there, and they're also going to host men's and women's summer exhibition games at Rucker Park. I think that's pending NCAA approval right now. But again, I don't have any, I don't have any takes when your mark does this stuff. It, besides, that's cool. I like it. Yeah, I, don't know I know why we haven't done it before. Well, that that right there has a little bit of a different undertone to it because there's been some rumblings that the Big 12 is looking to expand East and include schools on a basketball-only type of uh, membership. And Gonzaga, obviously out West, uh, Villanova, St. John's, Connecticut have all been talked about as possibilities. Um I think the New York City thing is not just a, you know, here's something cool we're doing. That feels like the first kind of formal step into that market because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, I love We could go to the park down it, at down near the Devon Tower if we want <laughs> to because that one has some history too. Yeah, no, I love I love that take on it and that would be cool if that helps in any way. The youth camps obviously is cool. The exhibition games though, like what you're talking about, I think that brings more eyeballs in the terms For of sure. possible expansion that way. So I love that take. It's cool. Don't have like, like I said, don't have a ton of like great takes on it. Just think it's a cool thing that your mark continues to be younger, hipper, cooler. Yeah, that's right. And he's a New York guy. So yes, y- you can see the affinity for it. All right, Cade, we'll do some quick baseball, softball, baseball was at Texas tech. They ended up losing the series one to two. They had a chance to win on Friday. They were up seven to one, kind of let it slip away. Some fielding issues there. They came back and dominated in game two. And then in game three, they got dominated, run ruled 12 to one. Made up for it yesterday against Wichita State, a 10-1 victory at Wichita State. And then they've got Baylor coming to town this weekend. And Kate, you should sweep that series. 
Baylor yeah. right now is 217th in RPI. They're 235th in batting average, 215th in on-base percentage, 228th in home runs. And on the other side, 176th in ERA and 201 in whip. If you don't sweep this team at home after a series that you should have won against right. Texas Tech, I think that would be pretty disappointing. My key takeaway from the Tech series, Kate, and let me know how you feel. I think we were the better team. I think they should just have won like it. slip away from him. You got Juwan Watts Brown going on Sunday. His start got pushed back due to arm soreness. He still went five innings on Sunday, but you could tell something was up. He would throw a ball literally into the dirt 10 feet in front of him and then strike the guy out with a dirty right. breaking ball on the next pitch. So I think they should have won that series. I think if they saw Tech again with a healthy Juwan Watts Brown, they beat him. Yeah, total agreement. And I frankly, it was disappointing that you only get out of there with one win because outside of Sunday, which was close until, you know, the, that disaster of a fifth inning, it felt like a totally series that you were the better team in and could have won. So I'm I'm totally in agreement with you. Um, I think they'll look back on that one and be a little disappointed because it does, if you win that series, it doesn't make a Baylor a must sweep, but it is, and and you you need to win every game. Yeah, I agree. Cowboys are still, you know, looking good in most statistics. You know, reading off some of the ones that I read off for Baylor, they're 34th in batting average, 35th in on-base percentage, 17th in home runs. They've been hitting a lot of home runs, 56th in the RA and 54th in whip. So they're still looking pretty good. Schubert, Mendham, Ben, Riggio, Miola, all batting above 300. So is Atkinson. We've seen his average dip a little bit since he's kind of been the everyday catcher with Doherty. Still expect, expected to miss a few weeks. It sounds like Earhart's going to be back soon, maybe as soon as this weekend, which would be big time. Crow has time, filled yeah. in pretty well for him at center, but you need Earhart's bat back, bat back, even though he's not didn't look great early on. Kid, my big takeaway from yesterday's game, Carson Bench, he hasn't pitched a lot coming off the surgery, but he looked awesome yesterday in five innings. He's a guy, I think, when they want to get him back up to full speed, which hopefully is soon, you maybe replace – and Abram and Hendry looked great at Texas Tech. Both of them pitched, I think, 11 innings total, and they looked awesome. But I think you give Binge a shot on the weekend because if you could move one of Abram or Hendry back to the pin – to yep. show up the pin a little bit and get binge as one of your weekend starters. I think he's got the talent to do it. And I, I, I hope they're able to kind of try that out soon. Yeah. It would be nice at the very least, you know, you've got another arm potentially. I mean, binge, it would be great to get him to, to supplant one of your starters, but if not now, you know that there's at least a little bit of a, a better option sitting there for you if you need to. It offers flexibility. So roster management, that helps. 100%. And real, before we move off baseball, let's hit this question real quick from Matt Claxton at Road Crew 1. He says, how worried should we be about Watts Brown not being able to go until Sunday and struggling a bit? The fact that he still went, was able to get through five innings, still had some nasty strikeouts, and then you see Binge go a full five on Wednesday against Wichita State. It makes me feel like they feel good about Juwan Rots Brown. And what, by bringing up the Binge thing, I think you'd save Binge for the weekend if you were worried about Juwan Rots Brown. So I, I think he's okay. I think you'll see him be fine. He's not. He's not an old. He only had the one season at Long Beach State, so it's not like he's a fifth year guy or right. anything like that. 
I think he'll be back fine. I think they sweep Baylor, and then I think they get Dallas Baptist again in a midweek game. So I'm expecting four wins rattled off in the next week. Yeah, that would be great. The Wichita State one is is it was kind of a freaky one on the schedule, but it, they came out and did a great job. That midweek game typically though can be a little bit of a of a pain point for them. So they need to go in that one for sure. Hundred percent. Uh, moving on to softball. Cowgirls dominated again, all wins. They take Arizona State down, UCF, Minnesota, UCF again, and then North Texas yesterday. Okay, they're number two in the rankings still, number three in RPI. Rachel Becker is batting 527, which I believe is second in the country. Her on-base percentage is first in the country. Michaela Wark is also now batting 423, and she's been smashing homers. Kylie Naomi continues to hit well. Saw Claire Tim and Lott get in a little bit and have some hits. Scotland David comes in, a girl that has had so many injuries. Kenny Gajewski mentioned on his radio show, he they talked about her maybe retiring. She comes in and hits a home run this weekend, which is awesome to see for her. Really, I mean, Talon Edwards struggling a little bit, but she's still hitting over 300. You've got Baylor coming in this weekend. They're number 22 in D1 softball's rankings, number 27 in RPI. They're still missing Aaliyah Benford, I believe, who's one of their better two-way players. I think Oklahoma State should win all three of these games, but Baylor's going to be one of the best teams you face in conference outside of Texas and OU. Cowgirls are firing on all cylinders. You know, we've seen Kelly Maxwell struggle a little bit here and there. She keeps coming and getting these saves, which I think boosts her confidence. You've got Acock and Kilfoyle still pitching really well. I'm not scared of Baylor. Yeah, I think it's a good test. I think it's it's one that you don't have to play Texas and OU yet. And now that you get a really good barometer type game or series, I should say, you've played some really good teams up to this point. Florida State was a, a great series. This is another one of those that kind of is another checkpoint before you get to Texas and OU, which is where ultimately this conference is going to be decided. So take care of business, keep the bats hot, uh, and see what you can do. But I, I mean, at this point, the expectation is to to beat everybody, not maybe named OU right now. Yeah, only two losses on the season. It'll be Maxwell versus Dari Army on Friday. Their ace that should be a good one. She's really good. You know, Baylor's got some some women, uh, Govin, Colossus, Tovin, Watson. They can all play the game, but I think Oklahoma State has the better team, and I think 2-1 would be fine, but I, I think you're looking to sweep. Oh, no question. I, I think so, especially at home. That That's going to be what they want to do, and it should be a decently nice weekend weather-wise, so that would be a, a good time to get up to Stillwater. Kate, before we get to the audio question, we actually have one more Twitter question because we hit them kind of during the podcast. We've got one from Brian Metcalf. He's got two. I'll read the second one first because I have some of this up real quick and I can just run through it. He says uh, to update on non-baseball softball spring sports. So wrestling nationals just happened. Oklahoma State. A little disappointing. I think it was one of their worst finishes in recent history. They failed to send a wrestler to the championship round for the first time in five years. They finished in 18th place. Just a tough look. Dayton Fix was unable to make it to the championship to get another uh, Roman Bravo Young rematch. So tough look for wrestling there. We'll kind of see where, yeah, that, where that goes. Keep it locked with Dynasty Defined. Keep it locked with Seth Duckworth. They can update you guys on wrestling. Women's basketball loses to Miami in the opener. And then Miami goes and beats 
number one seed Indiana, who the Cowgirls may have been able to beat as well. They had a big lead on Miami and ended up losing. Great season for J.C. Hoyt and the women, though, looking to kind of keep building off that her first season. Cowboy men's golf finished fourth of 13 at the NIT in Arizona. They don't, I think they don't go this weekend. I think they're back again in two weeks. And the women are in Clemson this weekend at a tournament there. Cowgirl Soccer has their spring exhibition season going on. I believe they play in Stillwater soon, so you can go check that out. Equestrian is preparing to defend the Big 12 title in Stillwater. They start with Baylor this weekend. And then tennis. The men, I think, are ranked 36th right now. They play Tulane on Sunday in Stillwater. And the women are ranked 15th, and they go up against Iowa State next on March 31st. Cade, that's your update. Well, I'll tell you this. That's the only place you're getting that level of up. We just hit equestrian. So uh, you're welcome, everybody, for that. And Dustin, thank you. That's that's outstanding. So let's move into questions. And Matt, thank you for the question as well. Here's one from Philip. Hey, guys. Philip Slavin of the 1012 Podcast here. Uh, you touched on potential basketball transfer portal guys that, that Oklahoma State could target last week. I am curious about the roster. At this point, we only know of two players who would technically be out of eligibility at the end of this year. They're adding in four who have officially signed one who's a verbal commit for this upcoming class. Is there actually going to be room on the roster for there to be And if that is going to be the case, where who are the players you think are most likely to leave to make room for that to happen? Thanks, guys. Hey, well, name Phillip, me three. Name me three right now that you think three, are gone. Three guys that I think are gone. Okay. Yeah, let's I say think, we're gonna make three spots. I think Chris Harris, Woody Newton, and Caleb Boone is where yeah. your three spots come from. Yeah, I, I don't have much of an argument there. We already threw out some other names, like possibly John Michael Wright, who I Maybe he decides to leave on his own. He seemed to really like the fit here. But, it, you know, I, I think Tyreek Smith, you want to bring him back. Obviously, Keon, he only had the one year. I think he's somebody that you want to bring back. Bryce Thompson. But, yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you on that. And, Philip, thanks for the question. That's an awesome question. But I, I think I agree with you. I think philosophically, if you look at the roster and say, well, they don't have room, then Mike, you haven't really looked at what Mike Boynton is doing. I'm not saying Philip said that, but in general, Mike Boynton will make room. We have seen that early on and sometimes really, really fast. Like there are guys that went on to have pretty decent careers elsewhere that Oklahoma State cut early. Um, and, you know, there's some external situations in some cases, but I look at a Maurice Kalu. Uh, he he got kicked off the team, but additionally, there are guys like a a, a Duncan Demuth. My point is, he's going to make room for the right players, whether they're here or not. So uh, I would not look at the scholarship count as a as a barrier to portal entries. Um, I would I would think every spot's going to be heavily scrutinized, and it should. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, kid, I don't think we have any more questions in the audio, right? That's it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for sending them in. If we got any during the pod, I didn't have it pulled up. I had these kind of written down. We recorded a little bit earlier than we normally do. So if we missed anybody, apologies. But thanks you guys so thank you guys so much for continuing to send questions in in the offseason. We really appreciate it. 
and we're ready to talk more spring football and more basketball yeah. transfer portal moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be great, man. I, this is a, a fun time of year as baseball and softball really get into the forefront. It's transfer portal season in basketball and it's spring football. So I don't know how you can't love it. I certainly do and love getting to talk through it with you. Thanks to all of our amazing listeners for sending in their questions. As always, I love when we get to p- pluck them off uh, in the podcast. That's always cool, too, as we're kind of like treading on your topic. So uh, always appreciate that. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Feels45Pod. You can follow Dustin at DustRagu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. Dustin, I hope you have a great weekend, sir. Enjoy the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, and I'm off to go see Frozen. <laughs> have a good night we'll see you later go pokes